This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. You're tuned in to The Property Show, our weekly take on all things property related, and I'm Philip C. It's the last Friday of the month, and as usual, Dato Ringo Lau from Ringo Lau Associates is our guest for the Property Legal Clinic. Now, on today's property show, we're going to have a deeper discussion on vaccine mandates. Much has been discussed on the relationship between employer and employee. But how about between tenant and landlord, residents and condominiums, and even visitors to shopping mall? Now, Dato Ringo, can landlords mandate their tenants to get vaccinated? Now, uh, we have to start off with uh, Phil by indicating clearly that for the present moment, there is no law in Malaysia making COVID-19 vaccination compulsory for all individuals. Now, your question that you have posed is whether landlords can mandate their tenants get vaccinated. Now, I take it that it's uh, full vaccination, you know, double dose, uh, 14 days thereafter. Uh, I can foresee that there are two situations to the questions that you pose. Now, the first situation which we consider of relevance would be existing tenancies. Now, in respect of existing tenancy agreement, one must scour the tenancy agreement first uh, to see if there are contractual provisions making vaccination compulsory for the tenants or even employee of the tenants who are working or residing at the property in question, which I shall call the demise premises as we go along. Now, if there is such a provision, answer to your question will be yes, it can be mandated. But if there isn't such a provision in the tenancy agreement, the answer will probably be no, unless the landlord has reserved its right to impose any additional conditions of public interest, which is to be abided to by the tenant now, with such a clause in the tenancy agreement, it may then be arguable that vaccination may be mandated. Now, the second scenario, Phil, is where the tenancy has come to an end and it's due for renewal. Now, for renewal tenancies, the landlord can impose a condition that vaccination be mandated before the renewal is granted permission by the landlord. And of course, for new tenancies, the landlord can always, always insist on such provisions to be included in the tenancy agreement so that vaccination can be compulsory. Mm, so it does sound like if it's a renewal and if it's a new tenant, you can put in place those uh, terms uh, into the agreements. So you, you mentioned just now, interestingly, about the provisions for existing tenants. Where would they typically uh, arise or be located in the overall contract, typically? Well, no, normally there would be some provisions about the rights and obligations of the parties. Now, there could be obligations of the tenants. The tenants might be required to ensure compliance with public order or public interest issues or public health issues. So it, it could be generally drafted or it, or it could not be found in there as well. Then that's one part of it. The other part is in respect of uh, the obligations or rights of the landlord, where landlord may have reserved to them the right to impose additional conditions 
which they deem fit and consider necessary in the matter of public interest. So I, I don't think it will be easy to find such provision, but it will not be difficult if there are some provisions of such a nature in the current existing tenancy agreements. So you're kind of implying that those kind of provisions are relatively rare in current tenancy agreements? Yes, because because our, our COVID-19 pandemic is something that's totally unforeseeable. You know, it's not like uh, the Spanish flu in the 1918. And it, since then, there hadn't been any major, major pandemic that uh, warranted a thorough review of the tenancy agreement to provide for such a public interest, uh, public health matters, really. We have had so many conversations about employer and employee mandates. What happens if there is the landlord asking for details of the vaccination status of the tenants' employees? Have you ever come across that before? Uh, I think I think uh, the I've not come across it, Phil. Not not for the moment. I don't think it's a, a fully implemented asking for details yet. But then again, like we enter into even into malls, we have to show that we've been vaccinated uh, twice and then show our vaccination certificate, so to speak, just to gain access. Now, for the landlord to to suggest for each and every tenant to show their their vaccination details. I don't think they have come to that yet in, 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 in particularity. And I presume there will be there's no such um, mandate we've seen before about landlords requiring their tenants to get fully vaccinated as well, right? Uh, no, currently no. But I suppose going forward, I expect there will be a lot of such impositions. And you were mentioning just now about, you know, the situation in shopping malls, um, because we are now seeing quite a lot of uh, news in the past months ago about building owners or shopping malls requiring visitors and patrons to be fully vaxxed, you know. How is this different from requiring their tenants or the tenant staff? Ah, okay. Now, let, let's start off with, first of all, whether there is SOP set by the government. Now, I think... Uh, a couple of months back, earlier on, I don't think there's SOP set for full vaccination for entry into malls. Only recently, I think they allowed the malls to be opened and then it must be fully vaccinated before any patrons can go in. But looking at the law, we must understand that uh, the mall is a private property. Okay, As owners of the mall, as owners of private property, they are entitled to set conditions for any visitors or invitees to come to their place. So I don't think there's anything wrong for mall owners except for business expediency to determine what sort of conditions they want to set for entry, like full vaccination or not. Now, insofar as mall owners vis-a-vis the tenants of the mall or employee of the tenants, now the mall owners will have to be very careful. They will have to look into the tenancy agreement with the tenant to see whether they could impose such an obligation on the tenants or not. Now, we don't want the mall owner to be preventing the tenants for getting access to their property. And then the tenant might turn around and say that, hey, there's a breach of contract on the part of you as a landlord for denying me access to my property. And then under such circumstances, can I not withhold payment of the rental because you deny me access. So that could be legal complications there. So the landlord has got to be very careful on determining 
the, the conditions to be set, like full vaccination for their tenants. Then again, it falls back to the first question that you posed me that I've answered. We have to look back into the tenancy agreement. Whether there are any other general provision where a landlord can utilize to its advantage to set and impose such conditions. This is very interesting about the conditions imposed because when I hear you, you are kind of implying that because it's in a private property, the landlord essentially can impose stricter SOPs beyond what is gazetted then, right? Yes, yes, that's my view. Mm. And do you see the distinction sometimes between even things like instead of, you know, the standard two weeks for getting the AZ or Pfizer, but the landlord says, no, I don't want two weeks, I want four weeks, um, you know, Maybe that kind of SOPs, have you seen that as potentially more willing to be challenged versus other things like your seating arrangements or your social distancing uh, SOPs? I, I think landlords w- w- wouldn't be so bold as to want to, to challenge the, what you call the frequency or the interval, uh, time, time interval for the vaccination. I, I think all this has been set by the health authorities. I don't think landlord would, would want to interfere in that. It's, it's not something within their scope. They, they run a run a risk legally if they want to impose uh, terms which are slightly different or way of compared to what has been said. And and so this was an earlier point you made about you know tal- tenants um, challenging the landlords for potentially restricting their business as a result of tighter than gazetted SOPs. I mean the classic example is uh, shopping malls where they now say you have to enter to be fully vaccinated, um, whereas that's not pre- uh, a prerequisite. But of course, you know that in certain locations or certain types of outlets, there are certain requirements, but not necessarily that you need to be fully vaccinated as well, right? Have you seen precedents of tenants challenging the landlord or potentially doing that for restricting their business? At, at, at the moment, I don't think so, because for practical reasons, if you if you don't abide by Let's say the, the, the mall owner has set a full vaccination uh, condition for everyone to enter the mall, right? And then we have a, a certain uh, tenancy who may not have all its employee fully vaccinated, maybe partially vaccinated. Now, are they going to challenge the mall owner to allow them to open or uh, to deny them the right to open their business? I, I don't think uh, it's uh, logically smart of them to challenge the landlord then they will only expose themselves to the members of the public or the, or the visitors to the mall uh, to be aware that all their employees are not fully vaccinated. I mean, I as a visitor might not want to visit the shop. You know? mm-hmm. So I, I foresee that on a practical side, there would be less of such action. And then on the legal side, I think for the tenant to want to take up action against this, it's kind of difficult. It's kind of difficult because I, I will show you some precedents or, or, or share with your, your listeners some precedents about some court cases which are pending elsewhere, not in Malaysia, but elsewhere where, where the greater good of the society prevail over the individual right of the citizens insofar as public health matters like uh, vaccination is concerned. And we'll go through those cases after these messages. Today on The Property Show, we have a special legal clinic on vaccine mandates across different property outlets. And stay tuned with us, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're tuned in to The Property Show on The Morning Run. I'm Philip C. and I have Dr. Ringo Lau here with me for the monthly property legal clinic that takes place on the last Friday of the month. 
Now, early on, we were talking about vaccine mandates in shopping malls, in corporate offices. Uh, but Dr. Ringo, we've not had any cases yet uh, where it's being challenged, right? No, we don't have. Uh, I mean, even even in the United Kingdom, I, I tried to do some research to ascertain cases uh, if the vaccine mandates have been challenged and brought to court. But knowing the British legal system, uh, they, they are also just like our legal system. It takes some time before a, a court case that initiated at the court of first instance to reach the highest court there, which is the Supreme Court. It may take several years. Uh, for us here now, probably just a few years. But in the United States, it's pretty fast. Uh, let me share with you an example of a, of a very recent case of uh, Indiana University. But before I get there, uh, let me start by sharing with your listeners that the first vaccine mandated law was enacted in the United States in 1809. That is to curb smallpox, uh, widespread of uh, smallpox. And in 1905, the Supreme Court of the United States of America in, in a famous case known as Jacobson and Massachusetts upheld a Cambridge city law which required smallpox vaccination. And it was said that we don't have a right to place other people at risk. So the Supreme Court as early as 1905 recognized the public interest uh, being weighed in favor as against the individual right. Now, then we move on now. Recently, as early as somewhere in May in America, in Indiana University, they introduced a vaccine mandate requiring all students, faculty and staff members to be vaccinated, except for those who qualified for exemptions based on religious, ethical or medical reasons. Now, unvaccinated students will be required to wear masks in public areas and receive twice weekly testing for the virus, according to the school's coronavirus guidelines. Now, this has got nothing to do with state or, 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 or district authorities' uh, regulations. It's the university's guidelines. Now, eight students sued the university in June over the requirement saying it violated their constitutional rights as described in the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. Now, a federal district judge in Indiana ruled against their case. Now, the case was brought up in June. And then the students faced a second rejection when the U.S. Court of Appeals also refused to issue an injunction against the vaccine mandate. Now, by August, these eight students were able to get to the Supreme Court and sought an emergency request to block the university's requirement. However, the Supreme Court denied it. So there we are, the latest situation, the highest authority in the United States have denied interfering with a vaccine mandate that was set by a university against its students, faculty, and staff members. It's fasc it. Yeah, it's fascinating. That means, you know, that really a vaccine mandate is very likely that you can uphold and, and, and enforce essentially, right? Yes, yes. Let me also share with you that CNN had recently, I think, I think just uh, less, than, less than a month ago, also fired three of its employees who went into work unvaccinated against the COVID-19 when uh, it violated the company policy, which insisted that all must be fully immunized. So CNN has also done it. 
and a, a lot of other major household names like uh, Walmart, Google, Uber, Facebook, and, and they are also implementing such a policy. And I mean, you mean just shifting the element a bit beyond just vaccinations, but maybe other things like mask wearing or even COVID testing entering the building uh, premises, right? Can the landlord do such things and impose that? Uh, the, the landlord will have to be very careful again on this. Now, the government has not set for our compulsory masking when we are in a private place or in a mall. Only in public places where it's crowded, then the landlord may rely on the SOP set by government and then to enforce it. Otherwise, it's got to be very careful and cautious. <laughs> so then my question is, can a landlord impose a fine uh, for someone not wearing a mask in their building if it's an SOP though? Uh, no, only the authority can impose any fine. Hmm. I see. You know, we talk about the landlord and tenant, but what happens if the other tenants put pressure on the landlord to impose other mandates? Okay, if, if, if there is a court order that's been obtained by those tenants uh, that is uh, obligatory on the landlord to fulfil certain obligations set out in the court order, then the landlord has got no choice but to comply with it. But then again, if there is no court order, maybe just a letter of demand from the lawyers, then the landlord will have to think carefully, will have to assess the situation in greater detail and seek lawyers' advice on whether they are obliged to comply with the demands imposed by those uh, set of tenants. So I want to shift our attention to condos and particularly, you know, JMCs, Joint Management Committees. And I want to get your perspective on their powers uh, and the ability for them to impose tighter SOPs than those gazetted. Is that possible? Uh Yes. Now, uh, when, when you're talking about GMB, of course, we also include uh, management corporations like MCs as well, yeah? MCs yes. and GMBs. Now, we have to look at three categories of people here, uh, Phil. Uh, I, I break it down to three categories. Basically, let's look at the first category, which are employees of the management corporation or GMB. Now, whether they can, they can mandate their respective employees who work at the condo site or who help out in the condo management office. Now, this will basically be dependent on their contract of employment. So one has to review their contracts to see whether there are provisions for vaccine mandate or provisions to issue policies and or to make reasonable requests of staff in the light of public interest or public health matters. So if there are none, then maybe to persuade them for their consent and to remind them that it's for their protection as well. That is in respect of the category, first category of employees of the, of the management corporation or the GMB. Now, the second category of people that we should be looking at would be contractors who are engaged by the management corporation or the GMB and their workmen when they come to work in the condo can we impose a condition that they are fully vaccinated? Now, then again, this will be dependent on their contracts. One has to look at the contracts that was entered into with these contractors. Review their contract. Anyway, most of these contracts are annually in nature. Usually it's only for 12 months before they have their AGM and then to, to, to re-engage them or to appoint new ones. So can we can review their contract? If not, set terms for a new contract. When we want to renew their contract, we can impose terms that there will be 
mandatory vaccinations or frequent testings at regular intervals, then all this can be incorporated. That's the second category. Now, the third category, the residents. Now, the residents is a different kettle of fish altogether. First and foremost, I must say that you cannot restrict their right to their property. Okay, Their right to their property or access to their property, to the use of their property, how they use their property, it is their constitutional right. You can't impose conditions. Now, the, the MC and the JMB can, of course, impose conditions in, in respect of access to and use of common areas and common facilities. Yes, they can do that. Uh, they have powers under the Strata Management Act. They have powers under the Deed of Mutual Covenant, which is a set of document that is signed by the condo purchasers alongside the sale and purchase agreement when they buy over stratified properties. Or they can also uh, do that via house rules that is set by the GMB and or the MC. Now, this house, rule, house rules can always be amended as well. Now, where do they amend and incorporate all these rules? If there, if there are no such rules in the deed of mutual covenant or house rules, they can always call for an EGM to have such new rules to be imposed, either mandatory vaccination and or frequent testing for use of common property and or common facilities. Uh, they can do it at, at the AGM or EGM if they want to, to incorporate these new guidelines. So you can basically call for an EGM, impose these house rules, and that, that perhaps explains why different condos have different uh, approaches and some are more relaxed than others, right, with respect to indeed. mobility and movements between their their tenants. Indeed, indeed. That's a big, that's, there's no, no uniform uh, regulations per se because the provision is basically, you know, they, they have power to do all things necessary for the proper maintenance and management as well as for the use and enjoyment of the common property especially on safety and security. Those are the general provisions. How they go about it, how extensive they want to go about it, it's all within their powers as provided for under the Strata Management Act. So sports facilities like swimming pools, tennis courts, gyms, do they tend to follow the house rules or must they at least meet the minimum uh, gazetted uh, requirements from the government? From what, from what I know, they, they have been strictly complying with the SOPs from the government or if not stricter than what the government have imposed so far, or those cases that I'm aware of, where they set conditions. That's all the time that we have for the monthly Property Legal Clinic today. Join us again next month as we help you shed light on your legal conundrums. Send your questions to property at bfm.my or WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899, BFM 89.9. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.